Welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great, big, wonderful world of tabletop gaming that currently exists out in the wild. It has been said many times, most of, mostly on this podcast, that uh, we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just so many good games that we can be playing right now that we could be spending our hobby dollars on or our hobby time. And it's sometimes hard to know which ones we should be playing or, you know, if you've missed something that might be good that you might enjoy. So the purpose of this podcast is to talk about the games that we love playing and uh, sort of the gaming industry as a whole. Now, on the last episode, we did talk about inspiration with Jason, which was awesome. In this episode, we're going to get a little more nutty crunchy with... Bolt action rules, and specifically an army in particular. But we are going to also discuss the newest book, uh, the Western Desert Campaign book, sort of broadly. Um, there's been a little controversy with the book, and I think we're definitely going to address that tonight. But in order to talk about this, I need to bring on two people that are sort of experts on a particular army. And it's an army that I also share a lot of passion for. So, I think I should start with a man who has been on to this podcast. So, I guess not this podcast, but on its predecessor, the LRDG2, previously. A man who loves to travel to play bolt action and is insanely prolific in the bolt action Australia-New Zealand group. And, of course, I would be talking about the one and only Hari. How are you doing, my man? I'm awake, so that's a start. Um, thanks. It's good to be back, Brad. <laughs> good to have you, man. Good to have you. Um, also, uh, now, longtime friend, uh, longtime disgust having you on, um, mm -hmm. but not actually having you on. Uh, oh, God, man. Rob, how long has it been? A couple of years now? Just, it's been too long. Yes. I've been missing you so much. I don't, I don't see you often enough, Not, not even... Fact that I saw you a few hours ago. That's true. It's true. Well, uh, God, man, one of the nicest, one of the friendliest, and one of just the plain badasses bolt action generals in Melbourne town himself, Rob Deacon. Welcome <laughs> to Cast Dice. How you doing, that's man? A, that's it, uh, Carl. That's a yeah. traditional Sikh uh, reading. Badass title he's claiming there. Yeah. Is, um... <laughs> Have you so seen my? No. Going um, that way when we play, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but but there's levels, you know. There's power levels. There's Hulk and there's Thanos, you know. Yeah, mate. For me, it was just a bit of housekeeping. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> How's the rum going? Yeah. Right oh, you on. know, getting through it. Getting through it. <laughs> right on. Well, all right, Hari, you are joining us from the great warm north of Australia, and uh, Rob and I, of course, are uh, decked out in our winter best. Although it was. Uh, Almost summer here a few weeks ago. It appears to have uh, turned cold again as I shivered with my dog previous to recording this. So uh, Rob and I braved the cold to get out today and we played a, a Western Desert game. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. I brought out my deck. And now you might say, why did you bring your deck? You've got tons of other uh, desert armies. Well, I have this beautifully painted DAC army that the one and only Patch painted for me uh, uh, ages ago. And though it's probably the army I've played with most in Volt Action, um, possibly, God, I haven't played with it in ages. And it was wonderful. 
to put on the tabletop today. And I got to use some of the new units and one of the new selectors from uh, the Western Desert book. But you might say, but Brad, why didn't you play your Seeks? Well, there is a reason. And that reason is Rob. Rob, you played your Seeks today. Um, now Absolutely. You, and you didn't yes. necessarily Why would you use... play anything else? Yeah, well, we can't. We didn't want to have the Seek versus Seek mirror match. That would have been awkward. No. No, that would have been, yeah, last man standing. That's right. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll get into your army and the rules you used in a little bit because I think that that is um, part of the discussion. Um <laughs> But uh, before we go anywhere, uh, let's talk to Hari about... Hari, you travel for a lot of events, uh, Bolt Action related. You are a very active member of the Bolt Action community on the east coast of the country. Um, I've seen you at events all over the place in at least four states. So uh, since I've checked last, have you played in like 16 events and... What's been going on? <laughs> and complete, bought and sold about 20 armies? Uh, no, not quite. Um, since Hoff, it's been pretty quiet. Um, just been working through uh, an infantry horde I signed myself up for. 80-plus mm-hmm. uh, Japanese infantry. Oh, yeah. And it's really moving. They've moved from one case to another. <laughs> so I'm... Right on top of that, you know. Nice. Um, yeah, apart from that, not, uh, well, look, to traveling to events, I mean, there's not a lot going on, certainly not within a one-hour drive of me. Um, aside from the local club out at Lismore, mm-hmm. which meets every Sunday, but tournaments, if I want to hit them, I'm heading south of the border, hitting up Canberra, hitting up Melbourne, mm-hmm. and hopefully later in the year, I'm heading up Tasmania. Nice. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, it has just been grinding through everything that's sort of cluttering up my desk and working out what I can sell and what I want to keep. Right on. Now, uh, there has been a joke that uh, you have provided half of the Melbourne community with King Tigers or Panthers, and I couldn't remember which one. Uh, um, I, will qu- I will clarify that. I've provided one Melbourne player with... Almost two companies worth of Panthers, but it's all been part of a plan because he now has nine Panthers. If he wants that tenth, he's going to have to buy it himself. <laughs> um, and Warlord thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, a fair few of them have been Rubicon, so of course, probably 50-50. Yeah. Yeah, there was this thing going for a while that if you attended an event at Melbourne, um, there was a really good chance that you were going to go home with a King Tiger or a Panther. And so uh, as you kept playing in those events, I kept thinking, is he buying these or is he just getting them all from Melbourne events? Um, but I, I think it may have been a little both. Um, no, I've never walked away from a Melbourne event with a Panther. I did come away with a King Tiger, a King Tiger after Stop the Hole. Mm-hmm. But no, I've never walked away with a Panther. I've always acquired my Panthers through reputable means. Right, must on. be me. I've I've come I've come away with uh, I think two King Tigers and a Panther. Yeah, there you uh, go. In recent events, yeah, yeah. there's certainly been a proliferation of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I just and as a seek seek player, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to fit into my. Fit, fit into my list. 
Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, or nice. for a Panther, you could always run it as Cuckoo, the one that the Culture and Guards captured in Italy. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, yeah, it's got some possibilities. Love it, love it. Well, uh, I, as I said, I did play Rob today, and it occurred to me while I was playing Rob that he... So, Rob, I, I, I'm a little confused by this idea that you're buying models because you are the man who um, is, in my mind, the preeminent 3D printer of vehicles in World War II scale in Melbourne. Um, yes, I, I have several printers, and I'm getting more. Oh. Um yeah. Well, now see, I often play uh, the opposing forces in games over the years, the Russians, mm-hmm. you know, the Mongols, the, you know, the horde forces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a treadhead, so I need, I just need more T-34s. So mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 three, the 3D printing is really just to bulk out armies because I, I think I'm a bit, like I think we were saying today, you, you paint your models to sort of uh, competition level. I paint my models with a house brush because there's so many of them. And if I play with them, I'll come back and paint them well. So 3D printing is good for making just sort of playing pieces. Maybe not, you know, it's not at the level for modeling pieces yet. Although I'm getting a resin printer uh, in a few months. Um, Yeah. So. Now, I, I wanted to talk to you about, and I think you are selling yourself a little short there, because having played you on the table today, your army looked damn fine on the tabletop. So, yeah, let's not start talking about a house brush, because there is... Ooh, yeah. well, there... That, well, no, I can, I can paint quite well, mm. um, but it's a matter of, you know, time versus uh, play time versus, uh, you know, paint time versus... Um, yeah. you're re- reading and research, you've got to balance out your hobby. So, yeah, yeah no, yeah, I don't, yeah. don't consider old army that I'm old armies that I'm playing with at the moment anywhere near my best work. But they but the important thing for me is actually the social side of it, getting out, yeah, not just not just the modeling, uh, yeah, hobby man. side of it, you know, yeah. I hear that. I often uh, fall into the the rut of sitting around the house and painting and painting and painting. And I don't know at what point I stopped being the guy who hated painting and loved playing and being to the guy who does both and like has to actively get out. Um, good friend of the show, Lee Avery, popped by the shop while we were playing our game today. And he's like, oh, he posted online, the elusive Brad is playing a game. And I was like, fool, I play games. What you talking about? And then I was like, oh, you may have a... <laughs> You may have a point. I should stop talking now. Um, you weren't that. You, you actually weren't that brave. You did have a bulldog with him. Yes, he did. A, a very fierce animal <laughs> who gave me licks and cuddles. Um, now, yeah. in my hand. But the, but the thing I want to say yep, on, sorry, that, on that, though, Brad, is that um, for me, I forget who wrote it, but it was in one of the War Games Illustrators or one of the, the mags mm-hmm. a few years ago, and they made this point around. Wargaming isn't just miniatures. It's got, you know, at least four pillars. The, the, the miniatures, the rules, the, the terrain and the players. You've got to have all those sort of four pillars to really enjoy uh, the experience. And as you've mentioned many times, you know, people coming and putting unpainted models onto crappy scenery just sort of ruins the cinematography and the immersion mm. of it. So you need, you know, you need good miniatures, you need a good terrain, you need a good set of rules, which we've got in bolt action. Yeah. Unless Harry's is going to disagree, and uh, and some good people, and we've got an awesome community in Melbourne. Definitely, yeah. And I would probably say that the community in Melbourne is probably the number one reason I keep coming back. Um, 
the tables that I've played on have all been great. The armies I've played against have all looked beautiful. Mm. But the simple fact that the community is there in a way that I've probably not felt in Queensland for a while now, and not in the sense that there's no group of players, it's more in the sense that when you go to Melbourne, you know that you're standing amongst equals and not a room full of people who are trying to one-up each other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a rare thing within gaming communities, especially given that unmentionable system's propensity to churn out that type of player. Yeah. We had some people on the table table next to us who were in that oh, <laughs> category, didn't we, Brad? Yeah, <laughs> we uh... were just thinking. Go ahead. Brad and I just what, chilled like Sunday morning, I think was your expression. Yes, that's it. And they were they, they were like, you got to play the rules. Blah, 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 blah. And they're not having a good time. Nah, oh, man. Brad, some, uh... Brad and I. Yeah. Brad and I ate an ice cream laughing. Yeah, we, we literally did. They were like, they were literally playing the new X-Wing version too, um, trying to figure oh, it out. God. And I don't want to say that, you know, all X-Wing players are like this. Um, the shop that we were playing in, Good Games in Melbourne, has a wonderfully casual, laid-back, fun X-Wing scene. I've played there many, many times. Um, X-Wing, and it's a great crowd, and they don't put up with, you know, power gamers and crap and whatnot. But I think these guys... I mean, one of them said that I think he played two games and the other guys had ever played three games. And they clearly were learning by playing each other. But it was like this massive dick measuring competition about who was going to win that game. And one guy was like, I'm just going to play and have fun. And the, it, which I guess is, you know, where I would go with it. But the other guy was wicked aggro. And then halfway through the game, you could just tell that they'd had enough of each other. And I was like, mate, are you even friends? <laughs> Meanwhile, Rob and I are sitting there with our golden gay time ice creams, just having chomping on them and watching them going, do you having need to... a golden gay time. That's right. We were. And you just need to tell those guys, how about you settle down? Would you like to come over here and watch adults play? Because, you know, this is how you do it. Anyway, so in my hand, I am holding two models. One of them is a very early 3D print. And when I say very early. It's like a year old um, 3D print of a G.I. Joe Jeep. Also in my hand is a... Uh, much newer, uh, I think it's like a week old um, G.I. Joe jet that is in, cast in resin that was 3D printed as well. They are worlds apart quality-wise. But there was this discussion a couple of years ago that 3D printing would, you know, it, it's going to be years before it catches up to um, production quality models. Well, in my hand, I'm holding one. Um, that I paid not much for to a nice gentleman who printed it for me, who had a resin printer. Um, as so, as the man who I think is, out of people I know, the expert on 3D printing, do you think we're reaching that tipping point where people are able to get? And I mean, I'm looking at Star Wars Legion in particular, where there are so many fantastic alternative models that are now available through 3D printing sites and free yeah. 3D filing. Do you think we've hit the point where you, we can legitimately have entire model ranges come out just via 3D printing? Well, I think we've well and truly uh, passed that point. The, the, the question is, is the cost. Like, is the cost mm. 
when when's when's the break even um, going to happen? I mean, I can print. Uh, yeah, my son obviously wanted mm-hmm. to have t- tiger tanks, uh, <laughs> as as you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just print, printed him out four or five of them. Um, they probably cost five dollars worth of um, uh, plastic ABS plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know probably. I don't know what what's, what would that be if you were buying uh, buying them as, as traditional models, you know, hundreds or, oh, or yeah. at least over a hundred dollars. So if you use it a lot um, and you're absorbing the costs of the printer, which might be four or five hundred dollars, um, you know, it, it breaks even very quickly, particularly when you're a treadhead like me and you mm-hmm. print vehicles and you know I print buildings and all sorts of stuff like that. And I've got got four or five printers. Uh, and I mean the context there. Just so everyone knows, I we, we did some STEM teaching. Uh, we'd go to schools and teach kids to do three D printing and graphic and digital design and things like that. One of the businesses uh, is involved in. Um, so I, I developed some skills in in that uh, and what printers could be good for, what printers aren't good for, um, how you need to design things to get the best out of them, how you need to orient them and provide mm-hmm. support. So. There's a lot of tuning. Once you get the tuning down, um, like any tool or instrument, you, you get the best out of it. But, the, you know, there was always a limit. But the quality of the tool has just keeps improving, you know, every couple of months. Um, you know, I'm a patron for a couple of on Patreons, um, people who are 3D printers, you know, real true experts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stuff they keep coming out with and finding and discovering, uh, the Kickstarters that are out there are just fantastic but i think it's a thing it's not the sort of thing that everybody's going to have i think it yeah. th- there's a lot to learn so i think it's more like um you know some guys have a wood shop or some guys have a lathe or mm-hmm. some guys do you know do the do particular types of um, or some guys have things. a podcasting rig yeah exactly i know exactly, yeah, exactly. what you're talking <laughs> about you know what i mean like so you'll have i think it'll be very common amongst gaming groups that you'll have out of your 20, 30, 40 guys in your gaming group, there'll be three or four um, which will have, will have three printers. And maybe for some of the really specialist stuff, um, you might use a bureau. So um, a Melbourne Melbourne Uni has a 3D printer that can print in titanium. <laughs> it's a multi-million dollar um, <laughs> 3D printer. Um, most, most people are printing in PLA or ABS sort of uh, plastic, uh, eco-plastics, mm-hmm. um, and their resolution only is 0.4 of a mil or 0.04, depending on what they're, they're using. Resin printers are already printing it um, well, domestically available. You know, if you spend $1,000, $2,000, you produce miniatures that are of the quality um, that come out of um, injection. Mm. Um, but it's just like $2,000 is a lot of money. Yeah, for the, for the average person to have. However, if you had ten mates and you all put in two hundred bucks, and the club owned one, you know, it's the sort of thing that needs to be run all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. But but I think the Shapeways is is you know is capturing the market because if you just want that hand solo or Princess mm-hmm. Leia special head example, what do you mean? Then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, what can you then you can just exactly shoot it off. Uh, yeah, yeah, and they, they've just got the economy of scale. 
Um, yeah, I think so that's I think bureau yeah. service. Bureau services like our local office works and people places like that. It's your average punter can take in a file, um, clear it off. Uh, the quality of that stuff is just going to get better and better and better. And so it really becomes an issue about licensing, copywriting, yeah. uh, content, not not the production uh, yeah. side. With regards to that licensing, it may lead to possibly not in uh, Europe or North America, but I'd say possibly in Australia and New Zealand to sort of off-brand um, – 40k miniatures being mm. produced like because i'm not sure what we did to offend games <laughs> workshop in days of yore gone by but they have an unmitigated hate boner for us and they seem unrepentant for it so i think i mean there was a joke going around that after fourth world's price hike that we were all going to go to recasters but now i'm thinking well what if people start coming up with their own designs to fit existing rules yeah. and 3D print them? Seems like a pretty yeah. good workaround. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a bit of psychology in in that. I mean, I'm also involved in the Lego community as well. And so even though you could make Lego bricks very cheap, they're not Lego bricks. Right. People want to have that big brand, you know. People, I, you would, you know, a Rubicon or Warlord King Tiger is going to be a better model than a, and, and quicker to put together or quicker <laughs> than to print than a 3D model. That might, that, I mean, that might change. I mean, maybe mm. within five years, 3D printers might be 100 times faster than what does what does that mean? But there is a, th- a psychological thing where people have an affinity with a brand yeah. and they want that brand. And it's even – it's not the cost that's important. It's being able to demonstrate that you are loyal um, to, the, yeah. to that to that brand. So that, I mean, that sort of plays into a lot of these types of digital products um, that are, that are out there. I mean, there already are a vast amount of really high quality uh, models from a whole lot of licenses uh, available. Yeah. Um, uh, so the cat's out of the bag for that. You can, you can shut them down on, on Thingiverse or whatever else, but most of the material gets traded uh, on hard drives and things between, mm-hmm. between people. Um, so that's a lost cause. Uh, you better have to work with the community yeah. and enable it rather than resist it. Otherwise, you just become a blockbuster and go yeah. out of business because you don't accept the change in the business model. Yeah, yeah, but it, it really does. It's fabulous stuff out there. There's some superheroes, you know, like Dewey Cat and, and um, you know, a few of the other people that, that just produce volumes of fantastic models. Uh, and the great thing for historical gamers, there's no copyright on the Tiger Tank exactly. shape. Right. On an X-Wing, you could argue that there's a certain look and feel and there's a lot of funny games played with the copyright and IP laws and things like that. Um, but from historically, you know, it's, it's a wide open. If, if I amazing. can, yeah, if I can touch on that, there's, um, a friend of the show, uh, I'm not sure, I, I think he's okay. I, yeah, I've definitely said it's okay. He said it was okay that I say it. Uh, Peter West, um, T.O. Extraordinaire, uh, sent me a present the other day, and it was thank you, Pete. Um, the Italian truck with the super heavy AT gun on the back. Um, Ooh, now, Company dude. B makes that kit, but um, and I sh- though I just ordered an entire army of Japanese paratroopers from Company B a few months back. 
I would have loved to have ordered that truck at the same time, and I forgot. But um, shipping to Australia for Company B can be a little rough. And so I was looking around for that kit, and um, Pete showed me a picture of one that he'd printed, and I was like, oh, that's so cool, awesome. And then um, he sent it to me, and it was a wonderful surprise, and it was a great present, and Pete's an amazing friend. Um, But I think that the notion that someone can come up with, as Rob says, that things that are out of license, things that you're not actually taking money from somebody's IP, um, stuff where somebody can just say, you know, here's one of those vehicles that nobody makes because there's a ton of them. There is still that stupid German gun. I think it's the Pack 44 and I would kill a fool for one of those things. I'm sure someone has a 3D, you know, printed file for that thing, but I want hey, Brad, one and I want like 15 one. Mil. Yeah, look. Yes, if you wanted to play Tank Wars in 15 mil, but I would love to put one in my uh, my existing bolt-action army, but that's a perfect candidate, like this Italian truck. Um, sure, someone does make that, but it's been in and out of production, and it's sometimes hard to get. Um, if What about the things that you can't get? Yeah, so I've done that for a couple of people, um, uh, design things up. So there might be a, a 15 mil version of a model or mm-hmm. um, like uh, uh, you know, people got secret projects I can't talk about, but yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure a particular guy's quite happy. That, um, I won't mention him by name, but I've designed, uh, well, I've got a basic design and, and, and tarted it up for the Carl Mortar. So it's this 28. So he's got a 28 mil Carl Mortar. I don't know if you know that massive nice. siege oh. mortar. That, 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 <laughs> so I did that for him. And, and for what I did then is I just swapped some um, figures, right? Because I don't have a resin printer yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's still debatable but whether the you know it's cost effective. So I just swapped for some, I wanted some Japanese figure, figures for a Chinese army I'm going to be doing uh, a bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, just I just traded him. So you go and buy that from Warlord, and I'll swap you for this. Uh, and it's fine. And then I've Perfect. done some Italian aircraft. Um, some people want some trucks, you know, things like Opal Blitzes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, to, to be to be um, you know, commercially minded, the, the the technology is available for these various businesses to use to make their masters and prototypes and things like that. And they can buy a, th- a better quality 3D printer and run it at volume. So it really should be driving down their prices. Um, and I mean, I'm sure they've got their, you know, their accountants are looking at it all the time. Yeah. Is exactly. it better that we, you know, it, you've also got to remember that to make a, a mold, it might cost you up to $50,000 US, a metal mold. Um, so the volume that those guys produce things out, you can't, you can't manufacture using additive manufacturing like 3D printing uh, at that sort of volume, it's not, it's not good for that. No. Um, small, small to moderate volume is fine. If you if you just want one Landschweppen Leiper or whatever it is that amphibious German thing, <laughs> that, that one, that one, you're probably better off just to buy it than to go and buy a 3D printer to print it, right? Because it's going to end up costing you $550 right. to get the mod that you could buy, and or whatever. Um, but there is that yeah, gentleman who. I use in the United States, and I know it's weird that I actually contract someone in the U.S. to do my 3D printing, but he's, I, I, I know the quality, I know the resin, I know what to expect, 
And so when I say, hey, here's a file that I found or do you know a file for this thing? And he is able to get it. Um, I, I'm happy to pay U.S. dollars and then pay the shipping and wait um, because I know it's yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah. However, as that technology you know, progresses, and I'm sure someone locally will be doing that shortly if they're not already, and I'm sure they are. I just haven't necessarily looked because I'm happy with the service that I'm using. Um, yeah, and it's... I, I'm happy paying, and, you know. Yeah, and I'm happy. And I, yeah. I, like, I look at things and I go, I, like, uh, I'm infatuated with the Comet tank, right? Mm. I would never 3D print because I can't get the quality good enough. Right. <laughs> happy with T-34s. But so, I, you know, I bought some um, JTFM Comets um, because I don't want to sit down and spend six months trying to get make it perfect and then lament how I can't get perfect quality on the printers that I've that I've got. Not yet. And ten years, ten years from now, um, yeah, the printers will be available to be able to print them. But right at the moment, I want my tanks now. So <laughs> I bought a bought a platoon of them. Also, that at some point. Yeah. Exactly. And and, and uh, yeah, you know, and scenery is really well suited to three D printing. So I back a lot of the three D printing. Um, things on Kickstarter to get the, the files there. And, it's, you know, it's relatively cheap with 50 or 100 bucks and you're helping some guy, um, you know, he's spending the time drawing up the buildings. You get them and then, um, you know, you can smash them out. And I, I just did a whole lot of Chinese, uh, things for Chinese um, uh, rural rural buildings. Yes. Which not commonly, <laughs> which I know certain people are very interested in. Um, what do you mean? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Actually, I think it was the last podcast. You're saying you're the Japanese player and you've got no one to play against Chinese. Well, that, that's certainly going to change <laughs> oh, in the yeah. next few months. <laughs> there's, there's a few. And uh, the second I said that, I was thinking, ah, oh, that's a bad example. And then I'm, I'm waiting for someone <laughs> to call me on it. And no one called me on yeah. it until just now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, okay, hold on. Let's, let's shift it up because um, I think um, we're reaching the end of uh, this poor horse that we've been, you know, beating. So let's move on to the next one. Um, gentlemen. Can we print, a, print another one? Yeah. Just print another horse to beat. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Um, let, let's get a little controversial. Um, now I, I'm, I'll, I'll give a little preamble and then I'm going to handball it to Hari and, uh, we may, we may have a, a little bit of a discussion here. So Warlord has recently put out a book. Um, and it is of course the Western desert book. And I've done several episodes of this podcast, um, talking about the special rules in that book, um, certain units, and it is a beast of a book it is 168 pages um it's got a pile of missions in it i know i've said on this podcast how many there are in the past um of course now i can't quite remember exactly how many but there are a massive pile of scenarios 19 scenarios in the book there are new Italian national rules there's an entire armies of free France in the desert um and there are tons of selectors and a bunch of units um, that have and have not been seen elsewhere. Now, um, Hari, as I, as I said in the preamble, you are, um, or in your introduction, I should say, you are, in t you are very um, plugged in into the Bolt Action Facebook community, and I'm sure um, the Bolt Action community as a whole outside of online. Um, now, I know that you had some pretty strong opinions about this book. Um, 
you shall we talk about that a little bit? Um, what were your uh, thoughts? Because I know when yeah. you f- you were really excited, and when you got it, I knew you were kind of let down. Um, but has your opinion changed uh, now that you've messed around with it? Where are you? Uh, still in the same place. Um, okay. I will preface everything I'm about to say with the following statement, and that is that no one book has killed my vibe for an army faster than this one did. Ooh. So that's a thing. Um, as we speak right now, the beautiful Knights of Dice case that I took to CanCon that I brought to Operation Wolf, that is devoid of Seek Infantry. And I'm waiting to sell the tanks off. So that's happened. Um, look, as far as a campaign book goes, this is the one that I wanted to see come out. I wanted to see a desert book uh, come out. I wasn't particularly fussed whether it was covering, you know, Sicily and the early stages of Italy or Tunisia or the Western Desert. But it's always good to start at the beginning, and the Western Desert is fantastic for that. However, the way some of these rules are written, I question whether there was rigorous playtest involved. Because some of these rules are throwing back to version 1, which is fine if they're used exclusively in the context of this book. Because I've my phone has been uh, blowing up a little um, with a good friend and also a prolific member of the group, uh, Akhtar. Mm-hmm. He's been sending me updates about things that are now available on Easy Army. And last night I made him aware that the light machine gun section with the flak option had gone up on the German list. He's just sent me through a list for Operation Tannenbaum. Um, and it's a German list. It's 11 orders. It's predominantly regular, which doesn't sound so bad. Four of the five infantry squads are the new Schutzen squads that can take the free light machine gun. Mm-hmm. And that... I'm starting to get the feeling that free units are becoming the norm rather than the exception. And, okay, there's an argument that for the Schutzen squad, the light machine gun, the free one isn't a new unit. It's a free upgrade. Mm-hmm. But again, it's still it's free. turning that... Yeah, it's still turning that into the norm rather than the exception. Um, the Schutzen squads on motorbikes cause it bring up another problem because there's an allowance in their rules for the sidecars to shoot, which is fine. However, it's only applied to the German sidecars. So motorcycle infantry for France, for Belgium, for all the other nations still have the restriction in the version two rulebook that they cannot move and shoot. So what I'm starting to see more and more as I go through it is more conflicts in open play than there are sort of resolutions. Um, the biggest one is the rules for the Diana Tank Hunter, which is it can, I believe it can advance and then go on to ambush and then fire from ambush. Now, that's fantastic, but the rule is listed as Tank Hunter. So how's that going to change? Does this mean in future that all tank hunters are going to get it? Or is it just going to be something special for the Diana? I'm not really seeing 
like in terms of uh, New Guinea and Battle of the Bulge, it was easy to look at units and go, okay, this will fit in with the broader scheme of things, but it won't just it won't make too many waves. Yeah. But what I'm seeing are a lot of waves coming out of this book, and it's probably I don't know. I think. As you said, it is a monster of a book. I'm looking at it right now, and it's certainly thick, but I think possibly it could have been divided into two books. And I think maybe if there had been split, uh, if it had been split and then a little bit more time spent on each book, things could have been a little bit tighter and a little less uh, controversial for the one of a better word. Yeah, I I think part of the problem, um, and for those of you who've been listening to prior shows will know that I interviewed the author for this book, and we did talk a little bit offline, and I have seen him talking to other people in some groups um, about this book. Rob, is that, I'm not sure if that's your microphone, but <laughs> someone's microphone's clicking. Sorry about that. And it stopped. Um and one of the things that I know that he spent a lot of time on, and it's something that I've talked on in this podcast, is that he wanted to make the book backward compatible and forward compatible. And um, I think that in doing so, um, some of the rules were pulled from books that were from version one. Um, and I think he tried really hard to add, I know he was on the fence about the shirts and squad, um, I actually don't have a problem with that squad um, because it is um, it is fairly limiting on what you can add to your squad. I mean, you get yes, you get a free LMG, but you also are not getting assault rifles. You're not getting Panzerfaust. You're not getting all the toys the Germans usually run around with. Yes, you're getting a yeah. free LMG with Hitler's buzzsaw. I get that. Um, it's basically like a free MMG for anyone else. I I, I get it. I absolutely get it. And again, I wouldn't run a list that has like six squads of those. It's, it's not my style. It's, uh, I, would, I would not feel good about that. But by the same token, I'm, I haven't faced it yet, and I'm not sure that I would have wicked feel-badsies about that. Um, now, I know something that you have pointed to with this book that you have a real problem with, and of course we're going to talk about that at, at more length in a bit, is the Sikh rules, um, or the Indian national rules, as, the, as an offshoot of the Commonwealth rules. Now, traditionally, um, there was a set of Sikh rules, sorry, Indian rules in the desert, and it was in Duel in the Sun. And it gave you the option of dropping all of the British national rules and replacing them with one free 10-man regular squad with no upgrades, but you could pay to upgrade them as normal. Or, oh, sorry, and um, the essentially the Russian rule where that if you um, take casualties and you're going to be destroyed, um, you get to re-roll your morale test if you fail the first one. Now... They took those rules and they put them in this book. And unfortunately, I think it was combined with some of the other national rules, which again pulled from different places for Commonwealth troops. And if I have one gripe with this book, I think that is it. It's that you don't, they retain the British rules but you just get rid of that choose your own special national characteristic rule, um, like up and atom uh, and 
Oh, um, tough as boots. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. You replace those with one of those two Indian rules I just mentioned. Um, either the free squad or the other one. But the problem is, then you ha- uh, because the rest of the British rules get kept, you get a free air observer. So, according to the Western Desert rules, you can run an Indian army that has a free arty observer and a free 10-man regular squad. Um, Now, I am not going to do that. I don't think that would be a great experience for my opponent. And I, to be honest, I don't like running. I often leave the free air observer at home anyway. Um, For those who saw me playing Soviets at Stop the Hoff, I didn't run a free Soviet squad, free Soviet squad, because it didn't fit my force. Now, uh, am I saying that everyone should do this? No, that's my personal insanity and hobby. I get it. But um, I I really wish that that option wasn't there. Um, I I just I think that if you go with the duel in the sun example um, and just use those rules as they were written, unfortunately, when those rules were written into that book, they were they said specifically that you have to combine those rules with um, specific selectors. So unfortunately, those selectors left things like the Blackguard Bomber out. And um, as someone who loves that weapon and knows that Indian so uh, Indian forces use them in the desert and spent a lot of time converting one before Warlord made one I I that kind of gives me the feel badsies um and but I know that my opponent if I took a 10 free man's a free 10 man squad and then a free arty observer is going to have all kinds of feel badsies because there's already a lot of people who have feel badsies every time they play British troops, and you have to face that free arty observer. It just gets boring. In my opinion, I would much prefer to have my, my opponent to have a free 10-man squad than that stupid arty observer, let alone both. Um, let's, let's take a break here, Harry, for a quick second and ask Rob. Rob, what are you thinking? Uh, I like the pretty pictures in the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's very pretty, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think that one of the things... Like the, for for our community, there's a visceral reaction to any indication there's going to be codex creep. Yes, I, I think that's like the underlying yeah. issue, right? Uh, I'm still so. Uh, <laughs> so, like, because what's what? That's what I'm hearing, you know, strategically, and what Hari's saying is there's inconsistency. There's freebies, free hits being given, and that um, gives him the proverbials. Um, I suppose the people I play with, like Brad just said, you just go, come on, mate, right? Yeah. Um, and it just wouldn't happen, right? And Or you'd, or you'd negotiate it or you'd, uh, you'd, you'd try, you'd try to, to balance it out. So I think there's a fear that, you know, it, it could allow the power gamers to emerge and people mm-hmm. who don't have the right community yeah. spirit to start, you know, winning podiums um for me for me it's not really a big issue i'm not doing that type of i'm a complete fluff player not a crunch player um i have been a crunch player <laughs> um but but for me it's really about you know what's the name of that figure his, right. what's his background what's his history um you know I, I like having problems only an idiot general goes into a battle where that's even odds so you know this whole concept of having 
perfectly balanced forces and evenly matched forces is just not for me the, the you know simulating um, uh, the way to go with wargaming. I, I like it, uh, you know, the last stand type things and the the under resourced and the run out of ammo and no fuel. I, I like that kind of thing. So I don't get as hung up on the um, the, the crunch of it. I just like the fluff of it. Yeah. Um, so it hasn't it doesn't bother me at all um i suppose with for the indians particularly it, it, it's just a bit of a i mean they contributed what two two and a half million two point four million or mobilized 2.4 million people yeah so there's just so much variety in the the uh british indian army and so many different types of units and different um levels of skill and there's some units that would rival the the Gurkhas in terms of ferocity, uh, uh, you know. So it's it's those rules don't exist. You could you could probably play as uh, play as Gurkhas. Others were just guys that were grabbed and given uh, given rifles and didn't particularly shine. So it's just it's sort of condensing that 2.4 million people into just one block. You know, the Canadian look at the variety of Canadians. Uh, units, and I think there was 700, 800,000 Canadians. Please don't write me hate mail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, in the variety of units there, or, or maybe you know about twice that number for the for the British and the variety of units there. Um, so the thing I'd like to see is sort of an expansion of that rule to say that there are elite units and different kinds of units. And but I understand Harry's point was was yeah. concerned for let's call it products. Now, but I still do like the pretty pictures. Yeah, amen. <laughs> I, I I like that this book, uh, and I and I won't. I'm unapologetic. I love this book. Um, I love it a lot, and I I'm actually a little more than a little bummed out at um, some of the negativity I'm reading online about it. Um, and I'm not having a go at you at Hari at all when I say that. I know, for example, that the author of this book feels terrible about it, and I don't want any author who's put clearly this much effort into something to feel that way um now I, I am paraphrasing that a little bit i hope he's proud of the book i haven't spoken to him i don't know for sure um but i have seen him apologize for certain things and I, I, that makes me feel bad that gives me the feel badsies yeah. because i'm such a yeah, fan I mean, and yeah can i can i just chew yeah. in there um like it's very i mean I, it's very important to do the quality control and the review and be able to take the, uh, the criticism and, and the comments if you put yourself out there. But when you hold something like that in your hand and say, I did that, you know, you should be proud. That's a fantastic piece of work. Yeah. Uh, even to create the debate is, is, fan, is fantastic. Hold on. Um, hold on, Rob. Hari's talking in the background there. Um, Hari, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, with a book of this scope and the amount of work that's gone into it, I think for an author to be actively apologising to people, that is a little bit heartbreaking. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not this book's biggest fan, but my issue is, as Rob said, with uh, more community-based concerns rather than the amount of work that the author put in. So... That's a little bit depressing, actually, to hear that he's out there, you know, sort of hat in hand, saying, "Look, guys, I'm sorry. This isn't what I expected." Yeah, I, I don't think. Look, I, I'm not trying to paint the picture that he's, you know, all bad, but I know there's certain, certain aspects of the process 
has not been his and again i haven't spoken to him i've only read a few posts and i'm inferring um but i am a little disappointed with some of the community in general about how things have reached out i mean it's not star wars level fandom freaking out over stuff unnecessarily bad but i mean we are talking about a book and uh, albeit it's easy for me to say this i have three full desert armies the indians the dak and my Italian Auto Sahariana. So technically four, because my with a couple of repaint vehicles, my Auto Sahariana turn into a regular Italian force. Because it's big, my infantry, I have enough infantry for it. Now, this book gave me everything I wanted and more for Christmas, except for giving me the Sikh and Indian rules that I wanted. It absolutely gives me multiple Auto Sahariana lists that look really weird and interesting and missions to play them properly because those forces just don't necessarily translate to the normal missions for bolt action particularly well. I mean, just by the nature of them being fast rating forces. We have the SAS and Jeeps. We have the LRDG. Um, I mean, the Free French Army list alone. I mean, there's tons of stuff. And I know Brian Cook and um, Lou and... Uh, oh, Lou's last name is... I'm going to butcher it. Um, but Lou and Brian spent a lot of time working on that Free French list. And it was essentially just inserted into this book. So for people to crap on this book, I think unnecessarily reflects the really hard work that A, the original author put in, but also the additional work that those additional authors whose work has been added with consent, I might add, and they are all quoted, um, not quoted, they're all credited for their work in the book. It's not like anything got in there secretly and they're like, oh, we've used this before and we're not going to credit the person. Um, the author really went out of his way to contact previous authors and to include their work. And man, uh, just to sort of crap on something with that many people contributing things. Sure, it means that there are a few mismatches. Sure, it means some things are from older books. Sure, it means that some things are from books that aren't even out yet, um, that we haven't even seen. I, I, I mean, I had, I had one person come up to me, long, long-time friend of mine, been playing bolt action for years, who was like, I'm really concerned about this new German unit. I really think it's overpowered, and I can't wait. You know, I'm not looking forward to facing it on the field. And I was like, look, I don't think the shirts and squads are that bad. And he was like, no, no, no. I'm talking about the Brandenburgers. And I went, they've been in at least two books previously, and they didn't change <laughs> at all. Um, I think that that's not a problem. Not exactly right. Yeah, but I mean, if you didn't have the other books, you would need the Brandenburger rules to fit that army list. So I'm glad they have it in there. Sure, it's a reprint, but it if if you were new to bolt action, and I bought you know the bolt action rules, and then I bought this book. I'm glad that Warlord put the Brandenburger rules in there so I didn't have to go buy a different book to get those rules. Now, yes, I understand that as for us who probably have all the bolt action books, it can be a bit, oh, they put that in there again. But yeah, they put it in there again. And it's not like they skimmed on pages. Um, you know, yeah. they put in a, a lot of information. And yeah, there's a lot of reprints. But damn, there's a lot of new stuff too. Now, I just got finished reading right before I got this book. Um, I was reading the new Defiance book for Conflict 47. Now, that's entirely new. There is no reprints in that. That is from scratch. Um, and that book plays, re like, 
that is riveting cover to cover. And I love that book. This book, I also love. But yes, there is a lot of reprinted stuff. But I think because of the nature of the Desert War, and as you say, it's so big, you had to. I don't know. I, I just think that... I think that people need to look at the positives in this book, too. I don't know. Um, well, Hari, it's easy. It's oh, easy sorry, uh, go ahead, Rob. Yeah. Well, I think it's easy. You know, most of us are consumers, not producers. So it's easy as a consumer to be critical. But if you're the guy that's got to put, put this together and get it out and manage everything, yeah. Um, I, you know, you've, you, most people aren't in that position. and They don't appreciate the effort and the difficulty uh, uh of doing this sort of stuff, or you can just be a jerk and say, look, it's not perfect. Uh, you know, rant, 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 rant. But I think when you do that, you're just being one of those, um, self-absorbed gatekeepers rather than actually, you know, helping move things forward. And there'll be version two and they'll bring out additional bits and pieces and mm-hmm. there'll be erratas and workarounds. So it's an evolving process, but yeah. you know, I like pretty pictures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <Right> <laughs> I'm obsessed. I'm in a cult of you know the canter camouflage, and this thing's got full of it's, it's full of it. It's great. It's awesome. Amen. And amen. I, then the fruit, into the f- you into that cult, Yeah, that's yes. your fault, by the way, Harry. Um, and if you're selling your army, I'm putting first bids in. Uh, uh, the yeah. <laughs> the, the fact that it's it's the fact that it's got the the um. The special forces and the German special forces in there. A mm-hmm. um, couple of things for people to argue about. Uh, you know, things like the, the jock column. I mean, imagine being able to take two 25 pounders. <laughs> oh, I love that. We did um, that today, by the way, for those yeah, wondering yeah, yeah, what he's yeah, talking yeah. about. Kept hiding stuff behind buildings and drifting my smoke back onto my own. My own units. Yes, you did. Come back, but anyway, <laughs> um, but I particularly like the French side of thing. I, I now I'm now thinking, well, because I like doing the op- opposite um, forces. So where's the Vichy? I need the Vichy list. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for the different types of and styles uh, across uh, across Africa. So uh, I'm 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 finding it quite inspiring, and and it's as as Australian, this is an important um, theatre for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it also adds to that. Agreed. Interesting. Agreed. Now, hold on. Let's, let's, um, Hari, I know that the Skype is not kind to you this evening as far as sound levels go. So, um, uh, Rob and I are going to shut up and why don't you tell us, um, have a go, man. And hopefully Skype will, will do some compensation for the volume. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I mean, Look, touching on a point that Rob made about the Indian, the 2.4 million volunteers being summarised into, into two little dot points, that was that was my central issue with this book. And it was my central issue with Jewel in the Sun as well. Mm. Um, the simple fact that in Jewel of the Sun, as you said, A, it was two dot points, and B, it was linked to selectors, which meant in open play, not a chance. In this one... It's in open play, but it's worse. Um, Look, I had a vested interest. I have a vested interest in making an Indian army. Um, Anyone who's seen me in the flesh or seen my profile picture on the Facebook page will go, hey, he might have a vested interest in this. Um, For an army that served from the first day of the war in the desert through to the last, 
two dot points and a regular free man early war section, that's kind of a kick in the teeth. I'm not going to mince words about that. That genuinely pissed me off. Um, considering that after the desert campaign, the entire campaign in Italy, the Indians were fighting in Burma, the forgotten 14th Army. They did a lot of the work there too. And I get that this is a desert book. Burma's pretty much irrelevant in that context. But in the sense that since I started Bolt Action in 2014 or 2013 or ages ago, there have been rules and PDFs and things coming out, even web articles for the Polish. Um, I think there was something up there for the Czechs. You know, we've had the Hungarian PDF, the French PDF. You know, there's been a constant churning out of rules, but that aspect is always lost, I feel, for the Commonwealth. Um, you know, the emphasis has been more towards Australia and New Zealand, and there's a certain justification for that. The context of our community, you know, that's where the focus is. But I just, you know, I'm living in hope that when we do get a Burma theatre book, it will do the justice and those rules will be available for open play. Um, but yeah, and, you know, I mean, I love that we now have viable rules for Italians. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Because there, I played a tournament in Kabulcha against a beautifully painted Italian army. Um, I think the models were sourced from Empress Miniatures. Mm -hmm. Absolutely gorgeous. He had a really nice mix of colonial Italians, um, Ethiopian snipers. It was amazing. But I got those three early kills in the game, and he was on the back foot from then on. Yeah. And those rules, they really handicapped the Italian players. Unnecessarily so. So in this respect, I'm really happy to see these new Italian rules in here. And I'm hoping that COs will take a hint and let the Italians use these in tournament because it would be good to see an Italian player on the podium. It really would. Yeah. Um, the same can be said for the SAS. Pretty nice rules in here. Um, I think there's a couple of you know, issues, but again, a great rule. That softened tyres rule, or mm -hmm. denoted tyres, I think it is. That's beautiful. I love that. It is. Just having that little extra option of maneuverability to just zip into some rough ground and say, hey, I'm right here where you didn't want. Exactly. Um, yeah. And rehashing the Brandenburger rules, that makes sense. Look, since Duel in the Sun came out in 2016, I think, there's been so many new players coming into the game saying, hey, I want rules. Desert, where can I find them? Sure. And, you know, the community points as well. But the book's profile wasn't that big. But now with Western Desert come out, it's all back up there. So hopefully we see some more variations because honestly, I could die a happy man if I never have to face a late war. Yeah. Amen to that. It kind of wears on. Yeah. Like the assault rifle pants about mold is kind of getting old. It's really getting old. Yeah. Having said that, I'm the guy who runs two of those squads. So. Yeah. Yeah, hot meat kettle. You're both black. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I, one thing that was in this book that I really enjoyed, um, and I, I'm a very small, very small minority um, of DAC players that have a bison um, at 20, in 156. Um, that is the SIG 33 Panzer Kampfwagen II, which is... Rob, you're going to help me out with this, right? It is the is it the Panzer three or the Panzer four chassis? I think it's on a Panzer three chassis because okay. it has seven shall... wheels. Anyway, um, well, it's the, the, the four's got seven wheels, but yeah, it okay. could just be the scale model. By the way, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Um, so back in the day <laughs> when I read, <laughs> I had this beautiful model from um, Blitzkrieg Miniatures. I absolutely loved it. And I also had the, and I have something in my eye, so now it's making it hard to read, um, the GW Lorraine Schlepper, um, which was, now, they are very different chassis. One is the looted French vehicle with a, um, with a, a crew compartment added to the back that's open air that has a heavy howitzer on it. The other one is, I believe, a Panzer III chassis that is open-topped and has, again, a heavy howitzer. Same gun. Um, but they were very different vehicles, very different sized, um, different models. Uh, but rules-wise, for a long time, I was just looking at them. And the closest analog I could use when I was using these way back when, um, because I had both of them. Um, one was given to me as a prize, and the other one I got to review for the show way back when. Anyway, um, was the grill. And... I am glad to see that over the years we've gotten the rules for the Schlepper, but we never got the gri- uh, We never got the Bison as by itself. I, in fact, thought I had the rules for that, um, but it wasn't until I opened this book that I realized, no, they are different. Um, they are significantly different. And um, the Bison is actually significantly more expensive than the Schlepper because um, it's 35 points, sorry, 25 points more expensive because it is... Um, a light tank instead of an armored carrier. Now, does that make a big difference on an open-top vehicle? Not really. Um, But I was just really excited to be able to put that down. Um, And likewise, and I know, Hari, you were talking about the Diana earlier. As someone who bought and then never got into Flames of War, um, I did buy a few blisters um, when the game was brand new way back when because a bunch of my workshop friends were playing it. But one of the few things that I bought... Um, was the Diana. I wanted to, I thought that that, you know, ugly ass truck, you know, half track truck with the giant gun on the back was my cup of tea. And if you look at my bolt action army since then, um, down to the brand new Italian truck with a super heavy AT gun on the back, you know that it is. Um, I'm just hoping that maybe 3D printing wise or otherwise, somebody comes out with a model for that thing. Um, now, yes, it was nice that they added that new ambush rule to it, and I don't know how I feel about that rule. Um, I think, yes, it fits certain settings in which it was played. Uh, sorry, it, it, it functioned on the battlefield in World War II, um, but it was in Duel in the Sun, and I'm pretty sure that rule wasn't part of it there. Um, that is one uh, of the few it, things that was different. It, it did not have that rule, right, Harry? No, it didn't. Um, yeah, it was. It was. I think points wise, it was the same. It was just that tank hunter rule that was missing. Yeah, um, and while that's a fun rule, I don't know if I'd use it. Um, I just I think it's a 
I just I think it's a cool vehicle, and I love that we're getting some of these weirder vehicles that appeared on the tabletop, or sorry, appeared on the battlefield in World War II, um, that now we can put them on the tabletop. And again, there's a ton of little things like that in this book, and I love it. Anyway. Um, sounds like um, sounds like I've got a 3D printing job. What do you I mean? You have, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a Panzer II chassis, by the way. Oh, of course. I actually knew that. Um, and the second you said that, yeah. that makes sense. Well, yeah. gentlemen. Can I, can sorry, I yeah. um, just go back to a point that Hari made? Because uh, you know, I didn't really think about it from uh, that. Well, I don't have Indian heritage. But if you look at you know, the, the, vo- the, the 2.4 million volunteers from India, right, they get one rule. But the uh, 1.6 or however many it was from Australia, the 150, 160 from New Zealand, similar number from South Africa. They all got rules. So, you know, proportionally, in the Indians really should have got 10 different sets of rules or 10 different, um, uh, you know, army types or things like that. So I can understand people in Indian heritage going, why are the South Africans getting all this attention when we had all of this rich... Um, military history that's not being not being communicated but in this book all of the commonwealth troops got the same sort of shaft where everyone got one characteristic right yeah but but for the number of troops the number of people yeah i never thought about that until that point that harry said is like so there were uh you know 150,000 kiwis and they get a special maori rule there were 2.4 2.4 million Indians, and they get one rule. You know, so it's it's, it's not not proportionate to the to the depth this of the history, the military history and tradition. Sorry, go ahead, Harry. Yeah, it's also the fact that that Maori rule combines three of the best uh, British national characteristics into one single rule as a one point upgrade. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of crazy. I mean, blood curdling charge is fantastic on Gurkhas. Up and Adam is scary on Gurkhas. Tough as Boots is hilarious on Gurkhas. You combine all three of those rules into a single point and add that as an upgrade as one point per man. So the same price as a Falchenier or American paratrooper now got an assault unit are none. So I sort of get where Harry's coming from yeah. uh, about that appointment in that there were easily uh, Indian units and particular Sikh units that were as terrifying as the, as the Gurkhas uh, and accounts from Italians saying that the, you know, Indian, the Sikhs changed the, changed the war for them and uh, how they were terrified of them uh, and, you know, all that sort of thing, which has sort of been papered over. So I can understand from, you know, with Harry, Harry's heritage, how they could be quite irritated um, by, by that lack of... Uh, <laughs> attention to that. So maybe we need, you know, <laughs> armies of India or armies of the well, Commonwealth, maybe, something like that. Yeah, actually, why don't you just shut up and stop complaining and write it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good idea. It's a great idea. You're so full of ideas. Where's your book? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You do it then. Uh, jump the parachute you pack. Um, yeah, I'll give you a hand. Well, let's get to our main topic then. Now, years and years ago i played uh several armies i was known for playing um my german army i was known for playing a couple things but 
When I was traveling through France, um, I started to read a lot about the Desert War. Um, I had saved a number of web articles, and I had taken a bunch of screenshots of books that I had on my bookshelf um, on my iPad, and I was just flipping through them because we were traveling a lot by train. Um, and as I was reading, I became more and more enamored with the idea of Indian forces in the desert. Um, I just, I loved the stories um, that I'd read um, and, and just the aesthetic of it. It wasn't just the standard British army that um, Dave of War was running back then. I mean, Dave was running more Scottish-themed commandos anyway, but as I had very few uh, opponents at the time, bolt action was brand new, um, that's what a British army looked like to me. And this, just that notion of... Um, Indian soldiers in, you know, khaki uniforms with turbans on um, really, really called to me. I, I, I love the aesthetic. I love the stories. Um, and just just this this image sort of appeared in my mind. And I went, OK, I, I need to make sure that I have this army. This this is for me. And so I bought a pile of models, most of them from Artisan Designs, um, Seek Range, and I built an army. And um, those of you who know how slow I paint, um, Warlord Tobu um, of the old LRDG cast painted him up for me while he was um, in between jobs. And wow, I love my army. It is beautiful, and I played it a ton. In fact, the last time I went to CanCon, um, which was years and years ago, I took the Sikhs, uh, and people remember that army because, um, like, oh, you're the Sikh player. And it's very funny because uh, I don't think I've played that army a ton since, um, but to be remembered for that army, um, it is different. Um, now, it's not that different. Tons of people play them. Um, I'm not terribly original in, in playing that particular army. As, I, as we're about to discover, uh, we're speaking to two other Sikh players. But um, it is uh, an evocative army for a lot of people. Um, Rob, that's kind of where I came from. How did you get um, so enamored with um, Indian forces in the desert and in Italy? Where where did that come from? Um, I suppose I, I'm like a bit like yourself. I'm you know quite interested in the you know, Far East or the the East mm. uh, and, and history. Uh, you know, I met a few. I work in IT, so <laughs> I met a few, uh, mm. quite a few Indian people, and uh, you know, Sikhs, and you can get talking and learn more about their culture. Mm. And you know, I was fasc fascinated by the Great Game period. The sort of this is the pre World War Two, World War One. Uh, you know, the the, the, the Far East, the back of beyond type um, uh, area, mm -hmm. which is just a black hole to, to most people historically. They know very little about that 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 period. And I increasingly became interested in the you know the Sikh Wars and the acts of gallantry. And I'm and you know nobody had heard of them. And 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 our image, and I quite like looking into the history of things, uh, you know, what really happened versus what, um, you know, we're told happens. Right. And, and, you know, and then you just start discovering how many Indians um, contributed to the First World War uh, and what a contribution they made and then how many they contributed to the Second World War. And there were, you know, Victoria Cross is awarded to... Um, 
to Indians flying in the Battle of Britain, flying Spitfires that you never hear mm. about, right? It's, it's all it's all Omaha and 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 the West. You know, don't get me started on the the Russians not being oh, credited. I don't know how that Americans can save the day. <laughs> if you look at the numbers, you know. Anyway, let's just not talk about that. No. Um, so <laughs> you, you will get hate mail. Um, so in particularly the 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 I think the story of um, I'll always pronounce it wrong Sarangari, which was a last stand by some Sikhs um, uh, working for for the Indian uh, or for the British. Um, which is one of the most amazing, amazing stories of bravery ever told. And people don't know. You know, people know about Thermopylae and that mm. last stand. I think the odds there are about 1 to 120. Mm-hmm. Or Sarangara or something like 21 guys against um, 10,000. They all died to a man. Um, and so, you know, it's like 1 to 20, what's that, 1 to 400 or something like that. Ooh. Incredible bravery. And... Um, and starting investigating that that culture, um, I remember reading a, a one uh, story by an Italian who would say that you know we were terrified of these Sikhs. They were so brutal. They were so vicious. You know, blah 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 blah. And then later he gets captured, and then he said, "I can't believe how compassionate they were and how they would give us their food and they would you know look after." And, and there's this real warrior saint. Um, mm. Mentality with Sikhs, and I speak to you know speaking to Sikhs now. Every time I see somebody, um, you know, I get a chance to talk to, and it's, it's a really fascinating culture. And I didn't realise it's the fifth or sixth biggest religion in the world, and mm. it's relatively relatively new. Um, I think it's fifteenth century, fifteenth sixteenth century. Um, there's a Sikh empire, and so it's really that discovery uh, of their history that really got me interested. Um, in them, and so I like to play them as a very uh, uh, aggressive, fearless force. <laughs> so people who've played me, you know, go like, "What is? Why is he charging machine gun nest?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and I don't really care if you know, because it's like war dollies. But I yeah. like to get feeling from the the guy on the other side, you know, where where they go. That's not how you meant to do it. Well, that's yeah. actually how they used to do it, right? They used to shoot all the bullets, throw the, you know, the grab, get the bayonet, and then when the bayonet was stuck in someone, pull out the knives, and they just were, once they were in, they were all, they were absolutely all. Um, and there's been some hilarious moments in games because I played that way. Um, today was a bit of an exception because for some reason I could get someone well, there was there was some failed orders test in today's game, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I was uh, so I couldn't hit anything, and um, <laughs> Rob couldn't pass an orders test, and so between us, it was a weird game of both action. But um, just like both had our eyes closed, slapping each other, and it was yeah. <laughs> actually you know what it been? It was a it was a British crew in the Churchill. That's what this would have been. Yeah, that's yeah. There's always somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so that, okay. that's what led me into to um, uh, you know really being passionate about playing uh, Sikh forces, and so when I put my armies together, I I, I try to go for a larger amount of uh, infantry and be very aggressive 
um, mm. you know, drive the drive and carry straight up of your opponent, unload into them and um, get a bunch of Did you call them Indian carriers? Because I'm pretty sure... Now, do you... Oh, oh you sorry, do Bren run... Gun yeah, Bren Gun Carrier. I do. I have, I, have, I, have, I have Indian... I have the Indian pattern ones and also uh, Bren Guns. Yeah. And we'll talk about the difference between those in a minute. But yeah. having been at the receiving end of just a few of your charges today, um, it was terrifying. Uh <laughs> I mean, because you, (laughs) I mean, you do expect certain tactics from players when you play a game for a a long period of time. And you and I have never played. Um, Somehow we just missed each other in the rankings and standings of all these events that we play in. But when we played today, there was a few times where you, you played your seeks to a particular theme. um, And I went, Ooh, I wasn't expecting that. And you absolutely, um, you know, backfooted me a couple times where I was like, Oh, he's going to go for the objective or do this other thing. But you're like, not playing for theme. Bam. And it was like, Oh, Oh dear. Um, I have to compensate for that. Did you notice when, um, Lee came and dropped in where he's like, yep, Rob. Yep. That's what Rob does. Yes. (laughs) Cause I played him a couple of times. Um, and sometimes, you know, like one of the most hilarious things I had, a um, a brain gun carrier. Um, and I think there were about, I can't remember what there's a, he was playing his, he was playing one of his new lists, but he fired, I think he had two bazookas and some other anti-tank weapon. And there was seven shots that bounced off a brain gun carrier. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he's just going, oh. that's what I love war gaming, right? Is that yeah. he's playing the person not playing, I'm I'm not really, you know, it's not really about the rules or or winning or whatever. It's right. It's about that, you know, can I, can I create a, uh, a story? You know, I think I said to you today, like, you know, what would, how would, what would the director be looking for here? Exactly. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. So it's fun. Yeah. Right on. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, what, so have you sort of, does that sort of sum up why you picked, um, seek forces? Or is there anything else you want to add? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh well, no. I, I just I like the, the style. I like the, um, you know, I've got all the cool German toys, but I I like to play. Um, I like to play different forces, you know. So I'll play, as I was mentioning before, I'll play the the Mongol Russian horde or the or the whatever. Mm. Um, and so they sort of scratch my itch there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I also just love to play those forces that are a little left of center. Um, you know, 1937 era invasion of Manchuria, or not even Manchuria, um, Battle of Shanghai, uh, Japanese forces, for example. I love that army. Um, I have that army. I love playing it. Um, people are like, wait, it's not World War II hasn't even started yet. And I go, yes, it has. Damn it. <laughs> In China, it started already. Um, because that, of course, grew into World War II. But I love those forces, and yeah, just and, to and, see... and, and and that's a similar, yeah, similar to me. I mean, I, so I like exactly. the, the, um, the the Chinese. I'm building in a sort of off off center Chinese army, um, as as well. Um, that's right. Yeah. Well, um, Hari, uh, we're going to shut up and we're going to let the Skype compensate, and hopefully the volume will work better now that we've been playing around with it. But. Um, so why why Sikhs or why Indians? I'm sorry, in general for you. Um, well, 
Well, for me personally, um, I'm, my heritage is Sri Lankan, but if you actually go back and look at Sri Lanka during World War Two, there's not that much great military happenings. Um, mm. Japanese bombed us. A few soldiers rebelled. One guy got shot, and then we shut up for the rest of the war. That was essentially it. So when I started looking at the Sikhs, I was actually um, I got caught up in that wave of early war enthusiasm that Hatch was sort of posting on the group. Mm-hmm. And I just started thinking about, okay, this is my first CanCon. What am I going to take? What do I want to run? And I'd spent my formative years of bolt action was spent with the Finnish force. And I was like, yeah, I could revisit that. And wasn't really keen. And then I thought, well, hang on for, you know, 45 bucks, I can get 38 infantry from Perry miniatures and mm-hmm. there's a platoon. So why don't we start there? And then it just snowballed into um, a Sikh army. I was reading or rereading to Brook by Peter Fitzsimmons. Mm. And there's an account in there he mentions of an Australian infantryman out on night patrol absolutely just cacking himself because all he's got on his shoulder is the rising sun badge from his hat. A hand has come over his mouth. There's a bayonet at his throat. Then the mouth, the hand on his mouth leaves, finds the badge, and this Indian accent whispers, you're Australian, go. And that, for me, just sold me on the idea of these um, Indian... They were from the King Edward's 18th Cavalry. Mm-hmm. Just creeping around and scaring the bejesus out of everyone. And I just went, yeah, that's the army for me. I'm sold. Yeah. And so I ran... Essentially, I think my force for CanCon would have been fairly similar to what you came up against today. Um, small squads and carriers. I ended up double platooning and taking two Crusaders. Um, I'd themed it around Operation Battle Axe, which was a failure, but it was the operational debut of the Crusader, so I went, I've got to yeah. do that. And Crusaders in corner camo look really sexy, so that was also going to happen. Um yeah, I got. I think I came away with one victory from CanCon, but it was just the best time I've ever had at a tournament. Mm-hmm. So it was absolutely fantastic. And full credit to Peter West for running that event. I will be back next year. So, yeah. But, I mean, the simple fact is that India has such a rich military history, it's easy to find inspiration once you start looking. Mm-hmm. I this upcoming army for Burma is based on the 3rd Madras Regiment. Um, and they are actually from the same region that my ancestors came from, southern India. So there's a bit of a personal link there. Um, they also have the distinction of being the longest serving regiment in the Indian Army. They go all the way back to the formation in 17... The, I think it was. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the Madras Battalion. Yeah, it's the longest serving regiment in the Indian Army. And the list of battle honors is insane. Um, so when I found that, I was I was sold on... It sort of... It gave me a bit of a reinvigoration after I'd sort of been a bit bummed out by, you know, the rules in the Western Desert book. And... For these guys, obviously using the standard British list, um, 
because it's the only way I can get an M3 Lee in there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's object. So, once I motivate myself to paint up that Japanese horde. Oh, God, I don't want to do that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there are some fantastic images if you do a quick Google search of, you know, 4th Indian Division Western Desert or Sikhs Western Desert. You find some great images. Um, I think one of my favourite ones is actually from Italy. And it's an Indian infantryman. He's wearing a great coat. He's got the sleeve sort of pulled up to his elbows. And he's just walking through the, I think it's the ruins of the Monte Cassino village. Mm-hmm. He's just got he's carrying his rifle in one hand. But when you look at him in comparison to the other soldiers, you realise this guy's about six foot tall, if not taller. And then you think about the psychological image of a six-foot-plus Indian charging towards you, bayonet fixed and screaming. Yeah. That's pretty terrifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I probably will revisit the Western Desert at some point. Um, I think Indian armies are going to be a common, a, a common thing for me. When I started with my Indian force way back when, um, again, I was working off of, you know, picture, as I said, pictures from books and web articles. And so I look, I'll admit to the level of due diligence that I do on armies now, uh, the, the force that I put together then wasn't great. Um, but I, in the end, I, I've recently gone back and looked at my old CanCon list. And keeping in mind, this is version one of Bolt Action without the .NET rules. So I was running, um, I believe I had three Indian carriers. And so those are universal carriers that have wheels on them instead of tracks. Um, and I one of them was the armored car variant. So you can take it and it had recce. Um, the other two were just transports. And I had two five-man squads to go in them. Um, I had, uh, I think, an eight-man squad of regular guys. Um, one guy had an SMG. One guy had an LMG in a truck um, with a command team, which was one guy with a friend, which was regular. I think the entire force was regular. I had a regular M3 Lee, the earliest version of it, because that's what I read they had at the time. Um, and then I backed it up with two eight-man squads, um, I think both had an LMG uh, on foot um, and a 25-pounder and a Blackguard Bombard. Uh, and I believe I had a um, a medium machine gun. I think that was my list. Oh, I had a mortar. Um, but that was my CanCon list. And people would look yeah. at my list and go... Wait, what's that thing? Because at the time, not too many people had seen Lee's. And to be fair, you don't really see him much anyway. Um, and then they would look at my armored cars and go, what, what are those things? And then they would look at the Blackguard Pombard and go, the hell is that? Um, because, again, th- there wasn't <laughs> rules for it back then. But um, Blackguard, um, uh, when he was designing this damn thing, before it was in the Home Guard, uh, from what I understand, and it's even written in the flavor text of the... Um, weapon itself, I believe, is that uh, Indian forces, um, he commanded an Indian force, I believe. And anyway, the weapons made their way into Indian forces in the desert. 
Now, I don't know how that that's the part I'm sort of cringingly saying. I don't know how historically accurate that is. Um, but when I, you do research it, you do see that, that they were used. Now, I just don't know if they were used with the combination of the other things. But I wanted sort of a fast, mobile, generally force. And I kind of did that. But to think now that with the new rules that I can get a free 10-man squad, that I get re-rolls to morale, keeping in mind that when I took it, notice I didn't mention an arty observer. I was using basic British rules. I had an arty observer. I think I used it once, maybe twice in the tournament, because I didn't want to hit myself. I didn't want to roll the one, and I was desperate to not yeah. take pins. Because in version one, if you had guys locked up in transports and your transport gets hit, of course it takes the pin. But you couldn't take rally tests if you were locked in a transport, mm. like you can in version two. And unmounted transports couldn't fire weapons. The rules are so much better for... Uh, my army now oh, that I really need to go back and play this thing. Um, it's ridiculous that I really haven't. Rob, I know that you've run wheeled and tracked um, carriers in your force. Is uh, Your force is relatively similar yeah. to mine, although you went well, with I, the priest, right? Yeah, well, not well, not the priest. There's a... There's a oh, the sexton, uh, sorry. Variant called the sexton. And, I, and, I, and I've just discovered there's an Australian version called the Yarra Rumba or something. <laughs> it was made in Bendigo. I've got to research that. But anyway, um, yeah, so I generally don't didn't I don't have tanks. You know, trucks and bayonets is sort of what I'd like to, to run and do it the hard way. Um, today was a bit of an exception. I didn't have the right model, so I just uh, put a Churchill into the to the list. <laughs> Not that it made much difference. Um, so I have done motorised groups. Um, I have done sort of the veteran carrier uh, groups. Um, I mean, the 10-man squad thing is, is, you know, again, it's very generic and it's very sort of stereotypical of, you know, the in Indian mass infantry rather than mm -hmm. looking at their martial skills. Because, you remember, you know, there, there's, there's a whole lot of Muslim uh, Indians, there's mm. other Indian, not, not you know, you know, um, Sikhs are only a percentage, a relatively small percentage of the Indian population. They they do make up a disproportionate amount of the the, the military, and particularly the World War Two. Um, uh, but so I, de I I I sort of have a couple of different lists. You know, veteran veteran list. Um, sort of you you motorized motorized. You know, lots of trucks. I love the twenty five pounder. So good, right? Uh, never, I can. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you get, you know, anti tank and and, um, and HG, and then with the the sexton, you get to put that on traps, uh, and it's just an awesome. So my sort of go to this at the moment is a a sexton, a staghound, and some either some Bren carriers or um, Indian pattern carriers. Okay. Well, that answers, I guess I got a couple questions for you guys. Being bigger experts on what was actually used in the desert by Indian forces than not. I have a Lee. Now, Lees, they work. Um, Staghounds, they were used more in Italy by Indian forces, right? What armored cars? Well, yeah, very, yeah. not, not, I mean, not, uh, I, uh, the staghounds are a bit of a stretch. Um, I mean, there are Indians doing everything uh, right. <laughs> across everywhere, but um, 
you know, they're in armoured groups and all over the, all over the, the joint. They're relatively uh, neglected um, in terms of cool stuff, um, but they were pretty good at, at scrounging. I mean, 50, not 50 cows, 30 cows found their way onto brand gun carriers um, all over the joint whenever there were Indians around um, oh. when they started supplying, supplying stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a brand gun carrier with an MG42 sticking out the front. Yeah, yeah, nice. that'd be right. Um, so you know, when you're not looked after, you have to learn to look after yourself. So mm. um, I think that's part of part of the ethos. But you know, the Australians were just as guilty as uh, of scavenging, or probably worse than um, <laughs> than anybody else. Um, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't got I haven't got a um, a Valentine, but I'm going to have to get um, a couple of those. And I've fallen back in love with the Matilda. I thought it was an ugly tank there for a long time, and I wasn't interested. But uh, with the more research that I've done with the Western Desert or whatever, I, and and mm. having seen close now, um, I can see a few Matildas appearing. Matilda twos appearing in my list. Uh, for bigger games. Yeah. Well, I was thinking for taking my existing Desert Army, because often the uniforms were used, the same uniforms were used um, in the early Italian campaign, um, only because, as as you hinted at, um, British leadership um, was notorious at not appreciating um, and equipping, in some cases, um, Sikh troops, or even allowing them to have their own leaders in a lot of cases. They, they often had white officers in um, Indian yep. units. Um, and because yeah. of that, there was, there was often um, resentments um, for this practice. Um, and so Indian units weren't often given the, the newest stuff, um, to, to, play it, to say it nicely. And of course, that... All, the food, all the food they needed. I mean, yeah, exactly, you know, I'm, I'm right? a fan of chit. Fan of Churchill, but he did, you know, take a lot of food out of India, which caused a quite a severe, um, you know, famine. And mm. uh, so that sort of attitude did come from the top. But at the same time, he was one of the people that that praised their bravery and contribution. Um, you know, and as, as, as said, you know, many times that their bravery had, had changed the course of um, course of battles and what have you. Yeah. Yeah, well, Monty was notoriously um, fast and loose with his um, co- uh, some of his um, Commonwealth troops um, that you know he just wasn't with British, um, you know, frontline troops, which you know is is awful. But I, yeah, I, I feel I, as not, you're getting but at, that's not a, that's not uncommon across all of I mean all of the nations. They do oh, absolutely. The same sorts of things. It just depends who writes the writes the commando comic. Exactly. Uh, you know. But it, but to get to what you were saying about um sort of looting and taking, you know, taking things or making do with certain things or you know grabbing things where you could get them, I was thinking about and I think I've said this on a prior cast taking my existing um, Sikh army and cycling out the Lee and cycling out some of the um, maybe some of the Indian carriers or maybe keeping them, um, but putting in a sort of a later Sherman and possibly um, now Hari was helping me with this and I'm going to pass to you in a second Hari um, a newer yeah. armored car um, and using them for 
um, Monte Cassino or the Italian campaign. Um, but really, just by repainting the vehicles that went with this, maybe adding a few trucks, um, CMP trucks um, as well in matching color scheme, it would really, you know, give this army a new life um, and change the way it plays. Um, Hari, do you think that's a good way of going about doing it? Um, yeah, it's certainly a cost-effective way of doing it. Um, realistically, once you get to Italy, you start to see some of the bigger slabs of steel coming into the armies. Um, quite a few uh, Sherman 3s and 5s. Mm-hmm. You'll also see a few 76 mil Shermans, and you've also got Churchills in there. So you've got options there. Um, for armored cars... You've actually got a few surprising options. Um, the Duke of Connaught's own Lancers and Central India Horse, they had 75 mil guns mounted in, in M3 half tracks. What? And I think, yeah, I think Brian Cook has one of those in his, his Africa, not his Africa Corps army, it's his German Tunisian army. Mm. He's got one there as a captured piece. Um, you've also got AECs, uh, Mark II and III. Mm-hmm. For the carriers, what I found when I was doing research for my CanCon force was that the India pattern carrier was more used in the armored car role rather than the transport role. Yeah. And they would often, um, particularly the scout uh, squadrons, would have uh, platoons of universal carriers, brain carriers, and they'd use those to ferry small sections up to reinforce the line where needed. So, I mean, yeah, if you wanted to run them with India pattern carriers, I don't think anyone would have a massive objection. If you wanted to get really crazy and start running them in M3 scout cars, that would be really cool for a late war Indian reconnaissance platoon. Yeah. The main reason you don't really see the staghound appearing is because it was literally fat. Too fat to fit down Italian streets. That's right. And I've been through the south of France, and I've been through some of those former Italian villages, and the difference in architecture is massive because the Italians actually space things out, but even when you look at the width of the street, you realise there's enough room for two people to walk down here with a donkey there's not enough room to get a car down here. No. Certainly not an armored car. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is one of those things. Um, the British, the Lee certainly would have been phased out prior to events in Sicily. But as I found to my immense delight, because the Lee is so absurdly effective on the table in a way that it never was in real life. True. <laughs> um, in Burma, it's actually perfect because mm. the third Carabineers ran them. So I've been able to squeeze in a 220.3 Lee and give myself an extra light anti-tank gun, medium anti-tank gun with two-inch HE and a pupil-mounted medium machine gun that won't leave me open top if I decide to fire it. Yep. Happy day. That's <laughs> right. And so in the Pacific, though... Um... The forces that Sikhs or Indian forces used, sorry, the uniforms, they were not khaki. They were the green color, right? Originally, they were uh, standard khaki drill. Mm. But as things started to change and British commanders actually got their heads around 
the differences of the differences in between jungle warfare and desert warfare, they realized that okay, we do need a replacement uniform here. So they started um I think the Australians did the same thing in New Guinea. They would just get big drums of this dye and heat it up and they'd all just dip their uniforms in, stir them around for a few hours, pull them out and drive them. They had green khaki drill. Later on they started making uh, proper uniforms in this it's sort of it's somewhere between like a the, that greenish color the Russians used and a German field gray it's like a 50 50 mm. mix of those two um, I have no idea how I'm gonna replicate color but sure there's a tutorial out there somewhere yeah. so this the color palette changes quite drastically um, which is good because after I painted that Cancon force, I was seeing in Fifty Shades of Beige, it was painful. <laughs> um, oh, I actually went cross-eyed for a couple of days, and yeah, things. Yeah. It took me to some dark places. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But again, in terms of listening for an Indian army, there is you do find yourself getting caught up in the theme of that intense martial prowess. So. The commonality that I've seen to all our lists is we all have small sections in carriers. Mm-hmm. That hasn't changed my burner list either. I've got two veteran sections in carriers with three submachine guns each, um, two regular eight-man sections with a light machine gun each, 25-pounder, uh, because why would you leave home without it? It's fantastic. It is so good. A light mortar, an anti-tank rifle, uh, two carriers to transport sections, the Lee, the standard uh, command team. I think that's it. I think the only thing I haven't decided on is an armored car. Probably leave that, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I like uh, um, armored cars. I mean, Stagans are big, a very big armored car. And there's, uh, you know, the 3D printer is going to be working overtime over <laughs> the next month or so, <laughs> producing a lot of the variants. So, uh, that I could use because I just love that. I, lo- I love that sort of clunky stuff that's not, you know, that the British had that wasn't as as sexy as the, you know, the German Panzers mm-hmm. uh, and what have you that was sort of bolted together. Um, yeah, you know, and I like... Vehicles. I mean, if you look at a Crusader or a Cromwell, at first glance you go, Jesus, you're ugly. Then on second yeah. glance you go, actually, you're not too bad, you know. It's all right. well, my 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 favourite's the Comet. You know, that's my favourite tank oh, by, by far. Um, you know, that probably because I had some Matchbox or a Matchbox or FX at, when I was you know eight or nine that I used to play with my you know mates and made up war games <laughs> with um, on the kitchen on the on the lounge room floor. Um, but yeah, I do I do like that that look and look of those. Uh, the Cromwell uh, Comet type uh, style. I'll have to get some, some Centurions for K47. I've been eyeing off the uh, Blitzkrieg miniature Centurion. And then I look at the yeah. thing. You know, there's an, another order I've got for 3D printing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very possible, Rob. It's very possible. Yeah. Designing up some K47 stuff at the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. And we will be talking about that soon. Um, Now, have you guys taken a good look at the plastic, the new 8th Army plastics from Warlord? 
Um, I, I know that I've, I mean, as I said, I have, a, I have an existing army. It's mainly artisan. I do have some wonderful warlord models in there that I've added to it. And I'm thinking about adding another squad or two um, to my existing force using um, the new plastics. But have you guys considered mix matching or just starting over looking at the awesome new plastics? Because, man, they do look good, right? Um, Rob, have they, you? They look yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, I think it's awesome that they've have got the um, the turbaned heads in you know on the standard sprue. Um, that's fant- that's a really good really good move. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more Sikh armies. I I just want to build and paint more, um, but I haven't got a temporal vault to provide me with the additional time. Yeah. Uh, so I you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm sort of obsessing about doing the Chinese. Uh, army at the moment, so mm-hmm. I'm look. I'm sure I'll end up buying three or four boxes and at, with, with the dream of putting them together. I do do need some um, bits and pieces, some more um, uh, machine gunners and uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think it'll just be added to the to the hoard uh, that I sleep on at night. <laughs> <laughs> Smog's hoard. Uh, Hari, how about yeah. you, man? How, how are you? Do you you think yeah, those look? I mean. I was really, um, I was overjoyed with the Spurs when I got them because I pre-ordered the starter set from Warlord Standards. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard that Warlord was bringing out Africa Coronate Army, I was thinking, okay, I'm my card carrying Perry Loyal Man. You're going to need a crowbar to send me away from them. Mm-hmm. And then I got the Spurs and I looked at them and I just went, wow, these are absolutely gorgeous. You lose. I mean, there's it's the standard warlord, uh, you know, thirty sprue, uh, thirty infantry in a box. So there's an eight model discrepancy there, but this the extra size is a blessing to someone like me who doesn't have great distance vision, um, and I think my vision is slowly deteriorating. And I looked at highlighting my old Perry seats, and I just went, no way, that's not happening. But with these, I really like the way they're sculpted. It's a nice compromise between freakishly big and detailed. Yeah. And the other benefit is with these sprues, I've actually been able to take some of the arms and use them in another army that I'm working on, which is a late war Italian free French force. So some of my foreign legionnaires now have nice macho rolled up sleeves while they're gunning people down with uh, submachine guns. Yeah. So, and the amount of options on the sprues themselves are just, it's beautiful. You've got the light mortar, the anti-tank rifle, and I love that they've included a couple of sandbags that you can rest the rifle, the anti-tank mm-hmm. rifle. That was really nice. The Punjabi heads are fantastic. Thank you. Glad you mentioned a it. Tiny, yeah, a tiny bit of uh, shaving and a little bit of green stuff work. They're perfect for Madrasi infantry. The Sikh heads were fantastic. Um, the Scots heads were an interesting inclusion. And I was at the back water blasting today and thinking about all things World War II and realised that those Scots heads are also perfect for French Marines, if anyone's that way inclined. Oh. Um, I found some artwork in an Osprey French Foreign Legion book uh, provided to me by Akhtar. Again, I think he's trying to 
corrupt me even further down the dark path and convince me to build every army. <laughs> um, probably so I can sell them onto him at a really cheap knockdown. Um, but from memory, the French Marines were wearing... Uh, it was either the Marines or the Commandos, and they were wearing British uh, paratrooper uniform. So between a box of Desert Infantry and a box of British Airborne, you've got two platoons of a very two very distinct armies ready to go. Yeah. So I'm seeing a lot of nice cross-compatibility between the kits, and especially at this larger sculpting size. You know, you've got the German SS, you've got mm-hmm. the new US Infantry, British Airborne, the 8th Army, the Africa Corps. Hopefully what we're going to be seeing is a lot of conversions from these kits because the scope is there just waiting to be exploited. Absolutely. And we're there, as you say, there's great variation and variety on those sprues and they're cross-compatible. Um, I know that I I often switch rifle arms between armies, which if you really want to get neckbeardy and you look at the rifles that I'm sharing between, yeah, probably not great. But um, on the tabletop, a rifle's a rifle if it's painted to yeah. match the rest of the army. And man, it just gives you more variation and that means less repetition. And that just means for more interesting looking armies, um, which is why I was so excited when we saw that there are six infantry models per sprue in this box. Um, the 8th Infantry box, and for each one of those, um, there are six new Sikh, as you say, Punjabi, Scots, and other um, heads that match. So there's six new Sikh heads. Now, that may not seem mm. like much to if you're not um, you know, someone who likes to play with that particular army, but um, Warlord previously had four, um, and... If you were trying to, you know, convert weapons crews and whatnot, um, those four heads, you know, I, I had to add some green stuff and to mix things up to make it interesting sometimes. But, man, to be able to have six new heads that match the Warlord models already, it's pretty special and spectacular. Um, and, again, I mean, we hadn't seen Punjabis at all, and now we have yeah. those as well. It's awesome. There's also the fact that, to give credit where credit is due, I'm looking at these faces right now. These are all distinctly Indian faces. You know, yeah. the level of detail here is insane. I've seen each and every one of these features on a face of someone of Indian descent at some point in my life. Mm. You know, it's it's absolutely incredible. Um, what I would like to see at some point would be some more exclusive head packs. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe for people who want to go back and rehead some of their miniatures. Um, I mean, if we see, look, I know German releases come out by the dozen, but <laughs> yep. Germans seem to be the uh, space marines of Warlord games. Mm-hmm. But and there were out, there were some. Um, Indian, there were some Indians that actually fought for the Germans mm. as yeah. well. Um. Um, and on that point, anyone who's looking at doing up a platoon of the Indischer Legion, get yourself a box of Africa Corps, find a mate who's done 8th Army, get his Sikh heads, mm-hmm. put the Sikh heads on the Africa Corps uniforms, done and dusted. Mm. That's yeah. my gift to you. That'd be awesome. Um, if you're looking at doing the Indian National Army for the Pacific... You can have fun with the Japanese list and put Sikh heads on those. Uh, I think these ones might be a little bit 
These are a little bit bigger than the Japanese models, but you can definitely make them work. Um, And there was a web. Oh, yeah, good point. Nice. The Perry heads would probably fit those. Yeah. Yeah, they'd probably be better off. Um, I did briefly have some initial legion that I converted up. I used the Blitzkrieg Grenadiers with uh, Perry Seek heads. I Mm. tried it with one of the Wall Seek heads, and it was just, it was way too comical looking. Mm. Like a bobblehead gone wrong. Yeah. Well, guys, I, I, I'm sorry to say, I think our time this evening is is drawing to a close. Um, dear listeners, I, I have to say thank you very much for listening. I know that um, the audio quality with Skype has just been a real problem tonight. Um, hopefully I will have fixed most of that in post-production, um, especially since um, the volume on Hari has been fairly low, and hopefully we can jack that up um, because his contributions have just been great. Um, now... Before uh, you find gentlemen roll out, there are a few things to talk about. Um, For those who are interested in desert warfare and sort of playing desert games, um, we are actually having an event here in Melbourne um, called Suns Out, Guns Out on October 6th at Good Games Melbourne. Um, if you look at the cast dice page, you should be able to find it there. Um, or if you call good games, Melbourne, and that's the good games on, uh, Lonsdale street. Um, it is a 980 point, uh, narrative day. Um, armies are, we, we ask that you have armies that are either from the desert or from the, uh, Italian campaign. Um, there is one army that won't be um, because um, I am trying to be inclusive for newer players. Um, if you are thinking, oh, I don't have an army that matches any of those. I can't play. Um, please contact me. I am the TO. I would love to have you. Um, I, I know that in the past I have felt that way. And um, the idea here is to get people playing. Um, either I have an army from that time period in that, that um, theater that you can borrow or um, we can accommodate you in some way, shape, or form. We'd love to have you. So please contact us. Um, that is October 6th, which is coming up thick and fast, um, and we would love to have you. But uh, I am not the only one having an event. Um, Hari, what are you doing? I have no idea what you're talking about, Brad. I really know what I'm doing on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, no, Operation Tannenbaum. It is... I'm trying to... I was actually approached by one of the Kabulcha bolt action gamers, Trevor mm-hmm. Laws. Um, Trev, this is your fault. You did this, all right? <laughs> so he approached me and said, hey, I'm thinking of running a tournament. Um, any ideas? And me, being Mr. Jet Setter, went, I've got a whole list of ideas. Here you go. And he went, well, how do you feel about being on board as a TO? And I went, oh, shit, here we go. Mm-hmm. Um so it is 1,250 points, 16 order dice cap. We're allowing theater selectors with TO discretion. So if we do see something that we think is, oh, a little bit cheesy, we'll ask you to resubmit it. Um, one thing we have allowed is armor platoons with the following conditions. They've got to be armor seven or less, armored cars or, uh, yeah, armored cars or open-topped only. So what I'm trying to sort of do is revitalize the bolt action community in Queensland because Mm -hmm. it has been dropping off 
really heavily. But I also want to break people out of that mold of, okay, I'm listing for a bolt action event. I'm going to need tank, an armored car, four units of infantry, some support units, and a command team. I'm done. Here we go. Because those lists get repetitive. And in order to sort of see the community move forward, we need to break that repetition. And look, let's be fair. The metas that existed in Queensland and prior to CanCon of this year were a lot more competitively driven to, yeah, than what you would see in Melbourne. Um, Mm -hmm. As a joke, when I went to a tournament there, I did up a list that had three flamethrowers, a Nettleworfer, and a Stug in it. I submitted that list thinking that I'd get um, a short, sharp message from the chair saying, hey, what the hell is this? Resub it, please. It got through, and I went through the tournament with that list. Now, that's something that I want to break people out of. I don't want to see these massively powerful lists coming to Queensland events. What I'm trying to do is get the best elements of the Melbourne community and bring them up here and try and bring us back so that we're on an even footing. Um, Because at the moment, there's a lot of stuff going on in the South and it's fantastic to see. I love seeing the tournaments. I love seeing the events posted up. I love going to the events. But at the same time, there's a whole bunch of gamers just two hours drive north of me and I'd love to see those guys at tournaments as well. Yeah, amen. And the reality is it's just not happening. So, I don't know. Hopefully... And this is my first time running an event, and 1250, I think, is probably a bit more than I probably should have bitten off. But, you know, what the hell? If you're going to, you know, go big or go home, That's right? That's it. Yeah, there's some great players up there. I, I, I'm originally from Caloundra, up on the, the Sunshine Coast there. I go up at Christmas time every so often to visit mum, and I just put a note out saying, any bolt action players? And Trev, um, Trev Laws, Said, yeah, yeah, when I got a big giant tank uh, war game, and I played the most ma- ridiculously massive tank war game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's some great players. Five billion points per side, or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, it was ridiculous, but it was great fun. Uh, yeah, so some great players up there, and, and they're, I reckon we're a good, uh, good uh, opportunity to um, develop a really good community up there. We're spoiled for choice down here. Yeah, we are. Oh, you really are. And I just want to give a quick shout out to the Bacon Burgers. Yeah. Uh, Tristan, if you're listening, Rob just submitted he's from Queensland. Give him some crap about it because I'm from <laughs> New South Wales, buddy. Hey, don't you drink rum? You're from Queensland. <laughs> it was cold. It keep warm somehow. <laughs> just yeah. housekeeping, mate. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. good times. Fighting yeah. spirit. That's it. That's it. Right on. Well, gentlemen, thank you again for coming on. Um, it is always a pleasure to, to, to just to talk to you. And Rob, it was awesome finally playing you today. And it was great just to, uh, to see Seeks played the way they're supposed to. And it, you've definitely uh, re, uh, re in, reignited my interest in the Army. And uh, talking to you guys tonight has definitely got my juices flowing. 
in a big way for uh, an army that I haven't played in a long time. So um, I know that sometimes we're tempted, and I'm not looking at you, Hari, to sell um, armies that we've uh, finished with <laughs> and moved on. Um, but it is nice. To rob very cheaply. Yeah, yep. to rob very cheaply. To rob very cheaply. Yep. Words, all right? Next time it's dice at 20 paces. <laughs> Mate, we got to get a game on. You know what I'm saying? It'll be good. Yeah. Definitely. Next it's time, the, my son. Uh, Next time. Yeah, because the last time I was on a podcast with you, we did talk up a game that never happened. Well, uh, sadly, I haven't been back to CanCon. So um, one of these yeah. days, one of these days, I will head back. Maybe it'll be this year since it's uh, Pete West's last hurrah. But uh, yeah, we shall I see. I think I'm going to head up. I think I'm going to head up for it. I haven't been for ages. Mm. Definitely have to think about it. Well, we'll talk, Rob. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening to uh, this fine episode of Cast Dice. Um, It is always nice to uh, talk with friends about uh, the game that we know and love. But um, regardless, no matter what, we would like to say, as always, ah, and I would like to acknowledge that um, someone asked me the other day if I had come up with this... um, ending to the show myself, and I would like to acknowledge uh, its origins. A good chunk of my sign-off for this show comes directly from the one and only Casey Pittman of uh, the Bolt Action Alliance, um, who will be on an episode very soon of uh, this particular show. Um, But um, let me quote Casey when I say, I hope your dice roll hot and I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, when you are playing the games that we love, I hope you are having fun. Good night. And the terrible span.